Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we Welcome in, everybody, episode 255 of the podcast, City Sweeping America, the Air Tourist Sports Podcast. It is Tuesday, May 26, 2020, and I hope all of you had a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. Many of you back to some semblance of normalcy. For those of you who could get out, could barbecue, could spend time with family and friends, I hope you did. I hope some of you got to the beach, uh, and I hope the rest of you are staying safe wherever you are. I mean, obviously, we're all going through some slightly different things. I, myself, didn't really do much, couldn't really do much because of the restrictions where I am, but I hope all of you had fun. For those of you who, I, I, by the way, I hope none of you were at the, the, the Lake of Ozarks that I saw that was tearing up the, the internet over the weekend uh, with all sorts of craziness there, but in all seriousness, I hope everyone had a great Memorial Day weekend, did decide to push back the opening show of the week. Uh, to Tuesday because I just felt like a lot of you guys are traveling, spending time with family and friends, and I just felt like a lot of you guys are not uh, kind of in that normal routine on this Monday, so better to get it out Tuesday, but great show today. So quick rundown of what we're going to do. So I got a lot of great feedback on last Thursday's show and the segment about COVID-19 in sports, where we're at. Specifically last week, I was recording right after the announcement that student-athletes could return to campus June 1st. And so what I'm going to do is this. Quickly, I'm going to do a quick recap of everything that has happened with COVID-19 and sports since we last spoke. Most of it is actually with the NBA going to Walt Disney World. Do want to talk quickly about what that could potentially look like and where uh, some of the, the, the positives and negatives come from it. Then, a couple other interesting topics that popped up over the weekend. One, Reggie Bush, former Heisman Trophy winner. He is, of course, a guy who who uh, is one of the most prominent college athletes of my lifetime. He had some very interesting comments on the name image likeness stuff. He brought up a negative that I actually have discussed on this show time and time again, and it's not to say that he's right or I'm right, just that for the media that says there is no downside to kids making money 
uh, off their name, image, and likeness. Uh, he had some very interesting comments. We will wrap with some actual college basketball news from the end of the weekend. Davide Moretti, the starting point guard at Texas Tech. He is originally from Italy. He is going to stay in Europe, and I think that shakes up what a team that I believe was one of the top 10 teams coming into next season, a team that I thought was good enough to win a national championship crushing news for Texas Tech and we will wrap with the passing of Eddie Sutton at 84 years old former head coach at Creighton Arkansas Kentucky Oklahoma State and for a very small time the University of San Francisco I'll be honest until he actually passed over the weekend and until he really got in the Hall of Fame conversation I don't know that I realized how good of a coach he was so that's the rundown and I should mention by the way how about this return of a friend of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Kevin Keats. He is the head coach at NC State. I recorded with him late last week. Fun interview. NC State was one of those teams that was right on the bubble going into the NCAA tournament picture. And so because of that, he comes back. We did this around this time last year. He just talks about the state of the program. Another really fun interview with another really fun coach. Uh, hopefully have another one coming later this week. All right, before we get started, I want to remind everybody, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes. If you have an Android, Podcast Addict is the way to go. That's where I get all my podcasts. Tune in radio, Spotify, uh, Pod Paradise, wherever you listen to podcasts, the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast is available. So make sure to rate. Also, give us a quick five stars. Rate, review the show in addition to subscribing. New five-star rating coming in from Dylan, who says, Great podcast, Aaron. This podcast keeps everyone well-informed on the college basket on the basketball landscape and is very entertaining. Clutch for any college basketball fan or student from the game learning from Hall of Fame coaches. So Dylan brings up a really important point that I've mentioned a few times. Dylan seems to really enjoy the interviews that I've done. Gary Williams, Jim Calhoun, Rick Barnes, you name it. And Dylan brings up a very important point that I have mentioned before. Is that if you are a person, and I hope it's many of you, that are now getting back to work, now getting back to a semblance of normalcy after two, two and a half months being at home, and you have more time for podcasts, for things of that nature, make sure and go back to listen to some of the old episodes of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast from March and April, because I tried uh, to get some really good guests, and I tried to keep the interviews as evergreen as possible. And what I mean by that is this. I understand that when I do a kind of a topic of the day kind of show like I do, it means that obviously some of the content itself is going to get outdated, but the interviews themselves were awesome. They're a fun listen. So if you're a fan of basketball, go back and listen. I had Patrick Patterson. I had Emmanuel Quickly. I had Mason Jones. As I mentioned, Rick Barnes, Gary Williams, the Hall of Famer, three-time national champion Jim Calhoun. Make sure to go back and listen to those interviews. Finally, if you're not following on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. I should mention some of you are starting to find me on Facebook. I do have a Facebook account, Aaron Torres Writer, where I post all my articles and, and, and videos and things of that nature. Obviously, this podcast. So find me there if you get your content on Facebook and you don't do it on Twitter or Instagram. And finally, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. If you have any questions or comments, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. All right, people, there is no more time to waste. There is so much to get into. And as I said off the top, I thought a lot of you, I got a lot of great response about my reaction last Thursday 
to the announcement that college sports can return, college athletes can return to campus on June 1st. And so what I decided to do to open this show is just kind of keep you abreast on what is going on in the sports world. Many of you were traveling this weekend. You weren't in front of a TV. And so a lot of you loved last segment. I want to do the same today and just kind of get you updated on where things are, what is going to happen, and what the next steps are for all major sports. So I I think it goes without saying, uh, not much has changed from an NFL perspective because of the fact they don't have games for five and a half months. Uh, Not much has changed actually from the college perspective. Now, some schools have announced they will be bringing back students on June 1st, excuse me. Nebraska is one. Wyoming is one. The SEC as a whole has said they will bring back student athletes on June 8th. That doesn't apply to every school. I saw Mitch Barnhart, the AD of Kentucky, said that it is going to be a wait-and-see approach. It's not guaranteed that all their athletes will come back on that day. Some schools are kind of phasing athletes in. So I don't know that a ton really changed from the college sports landscape. The one place that it did change, though, was the NBA. And I will give the NBA credit for this. For weeks, it felt like nothing was going to happen with the NBA, with coronavirus. Are they going to come back? Are they going to finish the season? And I will give them credit. I've been very critical of Adam Silver to a degree. I'm going to be critical of Adam Silver going forward. But, um, I do give them credit because over the last few weeks, I do think they've made steps in the right direction. I've given credit, I should give credit to LeBron James, to Steph Curry, to Russell Westbrook, because those guys all got on a phone call about 10 days ago and basically said, look, we want this season to happen. What do we have to do to get the ball rolling? So credit to the players and credit to the league for engaging with Walt Disney World to potentially restart the season. And for people who don't kind of understand NBA is taking a different approach than Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball is saying we are going to play games in this in our home stadiums without fans going forward. That is what the MLB proposal is. The NBA has basically said that we are going to create a bubble-like situation. And what I mean by a bubble is that basically they're going to bring all the teams, all the players, all the coaches, everybody to one central location. Once you come in, it's it's gonna use a bad pun. It's like Hotel California. Once you come in, it's get really hard to get out. Okay, and so that is their idea: is that bring everybody to one place, bring everybody, test them on the way in. If anybody tests positive on the way in, you keep them out until they test negative. If anybody tests positive inside the bubble, you you, you quarantine them. Whatever. And so the NBA has basically uh, over the last couple of weeks whittled it down to one of two sites. Either Walt Disney World in Orlando, where obviously for anybody who's been to Disney, they have that wide world of sports complex that's kind of separate from all the theme parks and all that stuff. There's apparently three arenas, plenty of hotels. So there was that and there was Vegas. And I will say, I've kind of said consistently on my Fox Sports Radio show that the Vegas thing I never really saw happening because Vegas is ready to reopen. And Vegas is going to have a lot of foot traffic here over the next I would say month to six weeks as people on the West Coast start to get back to normalcy. A couple buddies and myself are already planning on some trips for late June, early July. And so I didn't think you could bring the NBA to Vegas and keep everybody out in that bubble situation the way that that, that that was kind of the plan. But I don't think you can do it in Vegas, which is an international city. Obviously, there's not much international travel right now, but people will be coming in from all over the country. People will be going out. And so Walt Disney World appears to be the answer. And on Saturday, 
we got a report, not even a report, an official announcement from the NBA that Walt Disney World is going, the preliminary conversations have begun with Walt Disney World to restart the season, and as a sports fan, that is great news. That is a great headline. Where I am tripped up a little bit, though, the NBA is the timeline. Is the timeline. And what I mean by that is very simply this. Okay, I think we all agree that it's great news that the NBA wants to come back. I I know I don't talk a ton of NBA on this show. I know many of you are not the biggest NBA fans. You follow your college team. But it is still great that we're going to have live sports, right? Like, there's nothing wrong with that. But when I saw this headline, it kind of like a little light bulb flipped in my head. Uh, The NBA has begun preliminary talks with ESP, or Disney's Wide World of Sports to host the NBA there. And there was one word that stuck out, and it was preliminary. And I said to myself, what are they doing? Why, why is it preliminary? Are we trying to start the season or not? And I do think if I will be critical of the NBA in one capacity, it is not with the players who want to start the season, but it is with the NBA uh, commissioner Adam Silver and with kind of the people at the top for dragging their feet. It is now just a couple days until June. Rudy Gobert got pulled off the court on March 11th. We are talking a full 10 weeks since the season ended, probably closer to 11 or 12. And we are just now starting preliminary discussions that makes no sense to me. And as I look at the NBA's plan, I talked a lot about the college plan last week what some of the benefits and drawbacks are and the possibility of playing in a half-empty stadium and what does that mean for season ticket holders, what does it mean for people who want to purchase tickets online, day of game, whatever. With the NBA, I will criticize them on this, is I think they dragged their feet entirely too long and the reason, very simply, is that if you read Woj's report, if you read the details of the report of preliminary uh, conversations, here is the step-by-step plan as laid out by ESPN. So keep in mind, NBA teams have opened their facilities probably for at least a week or two now in virtually every place. And here is the NBA's uh, plan going forward. They engaged in preliminary discussions this week, probably should have had those preliminary discussions a month ago. Now here is the NBA's plan. It includes an initial two-week period recall of players into team marketplaces for a period of quarantine, then another one to two weeks of individual workouts at team facilities, And then finally, a two to three week training camp before the start of the season. And I got to say, that's a lot of time. That's a lot of time. And I don't mean to yell and scream and it's Tuesday morning. You guys are just getting your coffee and Torres is coming in hot like Torres always comes in. But think about this. We are now about to hit June 1 later this week, people, and the NBA is just now starting preliminary discussions, and they're talking about seven more weeks until the start of the season. The other thing on top of that is that the NBA wants to actually play regular season games before they start the playoffs. And in some capacity, I do understand that part. I do understand that you don't want to throw these teams into playoff competitive situations when they haven't played for a while. But if we're now talking about, again, as uh, this is from ESPN, that there is going to be a two-week quarantine period, then another two weeks of individual workouts, then another two to three weeks of team practice and, and basically a mini camp, a training camp, 
We are talking about seven weeks to the start of the season and then probably at least another week or two until the playoffs. And so if you just look at a calendar, I'm not claiming I have the insight of Woj or Shams or any of the best NBA reporters out there. If you just look at a calendar, though, that is eight weeks from now to start the season. That is about the middle to the end of July to start the season. And I'm sitting here saying, what are you waiting for? And I will say this. I think over the next six months, we are going to see how the NBA screwed this up so bad. And I'm not saying that they should rush players back if they don't feel it's safe or it's healthy or they have a plan in place. But what I am saying is very simply this. If the NBA had been proactive the way that NASCAR has been proactive, the way that UFC has been proactive, the way that even college athletics have been proactive in making a plan, having a plan, putting a plan in place, the NBA would have had this incredible window where if they had come back, say they had put this plan in place a month ago, say the preliminary discussions had started even May 1st, even May 15th, and you start that quarantine period now, you started at the end of May, the beginning of June, you're talking about the NBA returning July 1st, July 4th weekend where we're all going to be having a good time, having a few drinks, sitting in front of a TV, barbecuing with friends and family. You have the NBA open then. You have the NBA play its playoffs by the middle of July. And you have like a one-month period where there is nothing else on. You get to the late rounds of the playoffs in early September where you actually have a chance to compete with the NFL. That's what the NBA should have done. And again, I'm not saying to rush them back if it's not safe, but we, we, we have safe protocols now. We have safe protocols. We did golf on Sunday with Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. We've done NASCAR. We've done UFC. There are safe ways to do these things. And I just look at the NBA and they're dragging their feet and I think they missed their window because just think about the calendar now. Think about the calendar now from this perspective. We are talking about eight weeks until the actual start of games. That is the middle to the end of July. Okay, no big deal. Then you want to play a couple regular season games. We don't know how much that is. It could be a week. It could be two weeks. I guess it'd be more than a week, though, because if you're going to bring dozens of players back that are not going to make the playoffs and bring them into this bubble, you want to kind of get your money's worth, right? And so I think it's we're talking at least two, two and a half weeks, three weeks, who knows, of the regular season just to get to the playoffs. And we're going to start the playoffs. And I'm telling you this is going to happen right now. It is May 26th. The NBA is going to start their playoffs in the middle to the end of August. And do you know what happens on the sports calendar in the middle to the end of August? Training camps open in the NFL. Preseason happens in the NFL. And week one of the NFL and college football happens. And I know what everyone's, oh, well, it's different, it's the playoffs. No, just think about it. Just think about it. The NBA playoffs, if we're being perfectly honest, nobody really watches the playoffs until at best the conference finals. Now, diehards will watch if there's nothing else on on a May afternoon or May evening. Yeah, you'll flip on Bucks Pacers or Heat Celtics. But I mean, unless it's the Lakers or unless it's the finals or the Eastern or Western Conference finals, you're not really watching. You're not really rearranging your schedule. And now the NBA is going to open their playoffs when nobody really cares all that much 
right around the time that the NFL is going to be opening training camps, and then the playoffs are about to get good, the time that we're going to care about the NBA is going to coincide with the start of actual football. And I'm sorry, and I know people will say, well, it's really only one day, it was Sunday, you have Sunday NFL football, and da-da-da. No, not really. If we're really talking about it, if we're really talking about it, we now have Thursday night NFL football, which you might not like. It does monster ratings. We have Saturday college football. We have Sunday all-day NFL football, and we have Monday night football. And so I'm just telling you, I think the NBA missed their opportunity here, their window here, and now the best parts of the playoffs are going to be going head-to-head against the NFL and college football. And listen, I think, don't get me wrong, I think if it's a Tuesday in September and there's nothing to watch, yes, you will flip on a playoff game, but those important games that matter, are you really going to watch a Bucks-Pacers second-round game if it's going head-to-head with football, and not even good football. Because the thing about the NFL, say what you want about the NFL, the NFL is going to be really interesting this year. There are so many storylines. Tom Brady to the Bucks, Aaron Rodgers, his beef with uh, the, the, the Packers coaching staff after drafting Jordan Love. The Bengals are interesting with Joe Burrow. The Browns are interesting with Baker Mayfield. The Cardinals are interesting with Kyler Murray. The Seahawks, I mean, there are so many good stories in the NFL. And I just think that if it comes down to watching a Bucks uh, Heat or a Bucks Pacers or a Raptors Heat second round playoff series or a bad Monday night football game, you're still going to choose football. And so I just think the NBA has missed their golden opportunity here. We will still watch. I would have liked them to get this process expedited so we could see games on July 1st, July 4th, somewhere in that time frame. You get the regular season done by the middle of July. You start the playoffs. You get the really good playoff games going the middle to the end of August, and you're done by the middle of September. And I would add one more thing, too. And this is kind of out of the NBA's control. I won't blame them on this, but it's going to be weird. And I'm telling you, May 26th, I told you, AT told you this was going to happen. How about this? The NBA is the only of the three major sports, four if you include college football, I'm not including the NHL here. The NBA is the only one that is sequestering itself without fans, okay? So Major League Baseball is going to come back in its home park without fans. NFL, college football, it's going to be wait and see. They have more time to figure it out. The NBA is going to Disney, and you can't really bring fans to Disney. And even if even if things change, even if this this illness eradicates itself in the next three or four months, it's not going to be the same as having a home playoff game. And so that's another factor that I think no one's talking about. We could potentially in September be flipping between an Eastern Conference Finals game with no fans in the stands, and then flip to a Monday Night Football game with full fans in the stands. And I just think it's going to be really interesting in how that dynamic plays out of does the NBA feel even more small time because they're playing without fans? I do think, though, it is something to watch. And I, I listen, for the hundredth time, I'm not saying the NBA should rush their players back if they're not ready. But man, that July window, when everything's getting back to normal, when people are still taking those vacations they've had planned for the whole year, that is a great time to come back, a great time to get people watching. And I think they miss their window. All right, I do want to switch over to a couple other topics that kind of came up over the course of the last couple days, and that is 
I want to start with this Reggie Bush commentary. And so obviously, look, since uh, the, the college sports season ended, the NCAA tournament was canceled. One of the biggest topics in college sports has been this name image likeness thing, right? Basically, a quick recap, you all know, but name image likeness is basically players allowed to capitalize off stuff that is their own allowed to create the next version of the big baller brand, allowed to do autograph signings, allowed to capitalize off their Instagram feed or their Twitter feed or their YouTube feed. And as I've said, I have no fundamental objection with it because I use the Aaron Torres name to make money, right? If you want to sponsor this show, which by the way, you can email me, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. If you want to sponsor the show, you're more than welcome to. I make money off my name. I make money off my likeness. And so I've never once said I don't believe that I I don't think players should be able to make any money off their name, image, and likeness. What I have said, however, is that I do think there needs to be regulations. I do think there needs to be oversight from the NCAA. And people come after me, oh, the NBA, you know, if it's an open market, it's an open market. And if if Zion can get whatever, a million dollars to sponsor whatever, he should be able to get it. And I'm not saying that I fundamentally disagree with that, but I do think there has to be regulation because I've never liked this idea of just simply bidding on high school athletes or simply just using the monetary situation as the sole reason to get a kid to campus. And in the past, I've talked a lot about the issues that could come with it. Say uh, Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield's a bad example. Justin Fields, star quarterback, Ohio State. He 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 originally signed out of high school at Georgia. What if the reason he signed at Georgia was because Georgia offered him the most money? What happens then if he doesn't play as a freshman and decides he wants to transfer? Can he not get out of his quote-unquote contract if he had some kind of uh, endorsement stipulations? I don't know, and so I think it does create some gray area. But obviously, listen, I say what I say. Most people won't say it because if you say it, it sounds like you don't care about student-athletes, you're trying to hold people back, all that stuff. Well, how about this? Over the weekend, one of the most prominent athletes in college sports history basically agreed with AT. And that was, of course, Reggie Bush. Reggie Bush, the iconic running back at USC. USC went on major sanctions because he took money. He took money from agents during his time at USC. And listen, if I was Reggie Bush living in LA, I can't sit here on my high horse and say that I wouldn't have done the same if I was him or if I was his family. But Reggie Bush was asked about this topic from, ironically, Playboy.com, which I didn't even know still did like interviews or journalism. And Reggie Bush just basically said like, look, we have to be careful. I'm not saying I don't want kids to get paid, but there are a lot of bad people out there. And so I want to read Reggie Bush's exact quote. It's kind of long, but it starts with this. Guidance is the one thing that young athletes coming through this college system miss so much. I missed on it. They're about to start paying college athletes. This is something that has never been experienced before, and it's going to destroy some people if their foundation is not in the right place. And so Reggie Bush said that. The the headline becomes destroy people, and Reggie Bush obviously backtracked a little bit. But I want to continue with what he said in the interview itself. Again, playboy.com. This is Reggie Bush. The one thing I wish I had early in my career is proper financial knowledge. 
I hired good agents and I hired a good team, but I allowed that good team to make decisions for me. I'm not saying I'm going bankrupt, but if I had the proper knowledge back then, some things would be different. He continued. And this is the important part. If you take one thing away from his comments, take this. People just assume, well, you got all this money, so you're good. It's actually the opposite. The more money you have, the more danger you're in because now you're a freaking open target for a lot of people. It's a nasty world out there and it's going to get nastier. You're going to really start to see the true colors of a lot of people and a lot of businesses too. Shout out to Reggie Bush. Thank you, Reggie Bush, for basically being a voice of reason in these crazy times. Now, I will say, later on Monday, Reggie Bush called out ESPN because their headline was completely misleading. So Reggie Bush basically said, the the ESPN headline said, Reggie Bush is against athletes benefiting off their name, image, and likeness. Which if you just heard those quotes, that is not what he said at all. What he said was, yes, players should be allowed to benefit off their name, image, and likeness. They should be allowed to make extra money if they're marketable. But they have to be careful who they surround themselves with and the people around them. And thank you to Reggie Bush for saying what I've been trying to say for the last, really, year since Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, who you know I'm not a fan of, and LeBron James on the shop decided, you know what, we got to, you know, this is going to be our personal whatever. And I said at the time I was critical of the state of California because I don't believe that Gavin Newsom really cared about college athletes. He used it as an easy political platform to become buddies with LeBron James. But Reggie Bush brings up the only point that I have tried to make for a year now. I'm not against players getting paid. What I am worried about, because I am one of these people, like Dan Dockich, who's very outspoken about this, like Doug Gottlieb, who's very outspoken about this. I am one of the people that is on these campuses every single week. Every, you know, I'm on, the, I'm on these campuses all the time. And what I've said all along, as you guys know, I think most athletes at, at the high major college level have it pretty good. Not saying they shouldn't be able to make more money if it warrants it, but you just have to be careful. And this is my biggest fear, is that I have seen so much. I've been doing this for about 10 years now, maybe a little bit longer, maybe a little bit less. I've seen so many examples of adults that try to manipulate a situation, try to get in good with a kid, try to get in good with their family, and don't have the kid's best interest at heart. Not every adult in college sports is Nick Saban. Not every adult is John Calipari, is Coach K, that really do care about the kids, that really do want the kids to be safe. Not every kid has the best parents. Not every kid has the best background. By the way, some kids have great parents, but they don't have the financial literacy. And so all along, all I have said is that the NCAA does need to have some oversight on this because you can't have the wild, wild west. You can't just have a company DMing this kid or an agent DMing a parent promising them X, Y, and Z. There has to be some oversight. There has to be some regulation because, again, I'm telling you, there are so many horror stories of adults making bad decisions. And by the way, this is my biggest issue with how college sports is covered in general. You have guys like Stephen A. Smith, like Skip Bayless, like whoever, that go on their shows and they have huge platforms and good for those guys. They've earned that right. But they're not on. They, they, Max Kellerman, I can guarantee, has never been on USC's campus talking to the administration about how good a kid has it or whatever, North Carolina's campus or Duke's campus or Kentucky's campus. 
they don't know what it's really like, and they don't know what really happens behind the scenes. They don't know how many kids really do get put in a situation where adults are making decisions for them. I'll give you an example. This G League stuff. I can tell you for a fact, the week before all this happened, I ne- for the record, I never believed Jalen Green was going to college. Never believed it. I just felt like he was a kid who had a big brand. I just, I never thought that he was going to college. A week before, I was told by somebody very close to him, we think he's going to go to college. I was told by somebody who would know, he actually recorded a commitment video that exists somewhere to the University of Memphis. I did not see it, but I have been told that. And what happened was, the money got too good, the adults got involved, and I believe that was part of the reason. I think if it was up to Jalen Green, I don't think he would have minded being a kid for one more year. I don't want to talk about him. I don't know for sure. But I'm just saying, I don't think he would have minded being a kid for one more year, enjoying the college experience, and going pro. Zion loved it. Anthony Davis loved it. DeMarcus Cousins loved it. John Wall has been doing a bunch of interviews the last couple weeks with Evan Daniels, with all all the smoke, Matt Barnes. He talked about how valuable that college experience was to him. But now, with the money involved, with the G League, with everything, there are more adults getting involved and more adults who don't have the kid's best interest in their hearts. And it's not easy for a kid. That's the other thing, too. People say, well, if he doesn't want to go to the G League, he can just. It's not always that easy. It's not always that easy. You have adults making the decisions. You have adults behind the scenes doing stuff that, like, I I can't even fully explain what I'm trying to say, but I just give Reggie Bush so much credit for saying this because no one wants to talk about the downside. Everybody wants to talk about the upside. Everybody wants to talk about how bad college athletes have it and how screwed they are and how terrible life is, and I'm not saying they shouldn't earn money. I'm just saying there is downsides, there are greedy agents involved, there are greedy parents in some cases involved, and in many cases, as I said, there are just misinformed parents or parents that don't know the right people to deal with from the wrong people to deal with, and I do hope that as we get into this era, it isn't just, I'm Aaron Torres, I run a Torres Pizza Shop, uh, and, I slide <laughs> and I slide into the DMs of some kid and say, hey, I can pay you or $100,000, because it's just, there needs to be some sort of regulation, even in the NBA, even in the NFL, they get them set up with credible money managers, people like that, and I hope the NCAA does the same, and I give Reggie Bush credit for talking about this. Two last quick topics I want to get into, I won't spend much time with them, Kevin Keats, the head coach of NC State, coming up. The first one, we got legitimately big college basketball news in the middle of May this week, end of May really. It came over the weekend when Davide Moretti, starting point guard at Texas Tech, announced that he will no longer play college basketball and he's going to sign overseas in Europe. And for people who don't know, he's from Italy, and I can tell you that I heard back into the middle of the season that he would consider professional options outside of the college game. Makes sense. He's an older player. I think he's 22 years old. He's from Italy. There's obviously a natural... Uh, inclination. There, there, there's a natural kind of immersion where it's not like an American kid trying to go overseas to make it. He can obviously stay in Italy. He can sign with an co- uh, organization that he's comfortable with, closer to his family. Natural first language is probably Italian. So I'm not saying that it doesn't make sense. But from strictly a college basketball perfe- perspective, this is massive news this late in the game. Because we spend so much time in college basketball talking about the star freshmen. 
and I get it. Zion's awesome. Anthony Davis is awesome. BJ Boston, friend of the Aaron Torres podcast, is going to be awesome to watch next year. But as we all know, it is the upperclassmen that traditionally win big in March. And speaking of March, the last time we had an NCAA tournament, 2019, Virginia beat Texas Tech in the national championship game. And you know who was starting at point guard or at least in the backcourt for Texas Tech? It was Davide Moretti, who would have been a senior next year. And so I loved Texas Tech coming into next season. I believe I had them somewhere in like the five to seven range. And I truly believed that they were a team that was good enough to win the national championship. And people were wondering, you know, if you don't know the rosters, I don't blame you. Most people don't know other teams' rosters this early in the preseason. But what Chris Beard, the head coach of Texas Tech, likes to do, he plays that crazy defense where Texas Tech is really as good as anybody defensively in the country. And what he loves to do is have big athletic guys that can switch everything and make life miserable on defense. And he will have next year the best personnel that he has ever had at any point at Texas Tech. They have a sophomore named, and by the way, I should mention, all that personnel is between like 6'5 and 6'8, athletic, can switch, defense, all that. So they have a kid named TJ Shannon who will probably be an NBA draft pick next season, former four-star-ish recruit. He averaged about 10 a game as a freshman last year. Kid named Kevin McCuller who came on late, played really well. 6'6, handles the ball, really long, really athletic. They have a kid named Joel Tomway, who the Texas Tech coaching staff, I can tell you, believes is an NBA player. He is a transfer from UNLV. What's most notable about him, he is the brother of the number one high school prospect in the 2021 class, Jonathan Kaminga, who actually released a top five on Friday, and I think will ultimately choose between Texas Tech, Auburn, or the G League. But the point is, is that Texas Tech has a really good team next year. And I will say that Davide Moretti did kind of take a step back as a player last year. His, his shooting percentages were down. His assists were down. He was not as good as he was during that Texas Tech championship run. But to lose a senior point guard this late in the process, I just think is brutal. He is the guy who at times ran their offense. He was one of their best three-point shooters on a team that did not shoot the three ball well. And I just think it is crippling. Now, Texas Tech still has plenty of talent. I should mention, they did bring in a five-star McDonald's All-American point guard named Namari Burnett. They are also, as I said, still in the hunt for Jonathan Kaminga. They are still in the hunt for Mac McClung, the transfer from Georgetown. And I bring that up because they're still going to be really good. And they're still going to have talent, and they still actually may get better. Jonathan Kaminga is a really good player if he ends up at Texas Tech. I tend to think he'll probably end up in the G League, neither here nor there. But what I will say definitively is very simply this. That was a team that I thought was good enough to win the national championship. I just talked about Vegas reopening a minute ago. When I went to Vegas this summer, I was going to try to find some Texas Tech national championship odds because I believed that they were good enough to win it. I don't know that I believe that they're good enough to win it now because their, 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 their offense is going to be run either by a freshman point guard, Amari Burnett, or somebody who's not a natural point guard. Moretti wasn't great, but it is still a big loss. Finally, last topic of the day. I quickly just want to, uh, you know, say rest in peace to Eddie Sutton. And Eddie Sutton, of course, for people who are really my age and younger, 
He was really one of the iconic coaches of college basketball, specifically 70s, 80s, 90s. Coached at Creighton, coached at Arkansas, coached at Kentucky, coached at Oklahoma State, and coached at San Francisco to end his career. And he passed away over the weekend at 84 years old. And and I'm going to keep this quick. I'll be honest, there are better people to talk about Eddie Sutton's legacy than me. My buddy Doug Gottlieb from Fox Sports Radio played for him. I know there are a lot of really talented media members, Oscar Coombs, who's been doing this forever in Kentucky, some people in Arkansas, some people in Oklahoma that can speak better to Eddie Sutton. But what I would say is just a couple really quick things. You know, one... It's unfortunate that in life, um, you know, part of Eddie Sutton's legacy is some negative stuff. He was obviously the head coach at Kentucky when the envelope, uh, you know, there was a, uh, an envelope with $1,000 that was going to Chris Mills' family, uh, falls out of whatever, gets opened, and basically the Kentucky investigation, he was fired, that eventually brought in Rick Pitino, that brought Kentucky the 1996-1998 National Championships. It started with Eddie Sutton's tenure which was not good. I would also say there's some negative in the fact that at Oklahoma State, his career basically came to an end there because of a DUI, and he admitted throughout his life that that he really did battle alcoholism. Now, the one thing I will say really quick is, as a general rule, I think if you've been listening to this show long enough, you know that I don't think that I really attack people in sports off the field, off the court, whatever. Now, am I critical of Tom Crean when he goes 3-15 and 15 in the SEC with the number one pick in the draft? Yes, I will be critical of Tom Crean as a coach. I will be critical of Mike White. I will be critical of Shaka Smart. I don't really believe that I've ever been super critical of anyone for off-the-court decisions. Maybe a little bit Rick Pitino because I just think he's full of crap when he just makes up stuff as he goes and, oh, Providence is the biggest regret of my life and I should have never left. But as a general rule, I don't criticize people because we're all flawed. Nobody is perfect. You know, I I have friends and family that have battled substance abuse issues. I myself have things that I'm continuing to work on. I have myself things that I would like to be better at. Um, And so I don't think I'm really the type of person, and, and maybe you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not really the type of person to criticize anybody off the court, off the field. Um, And so, yeah, so like Eddie Sutton, you know, that is part of his legacy. But what I would say is until he got really seriously, uh, uh, you know, when he got elected to the Hall of Fame and and his credentials really came to the forefront over the last year or so, I don't think that I realized how great of a coach he was. First of all, 800 wins. There just aren't that many guys in college basketball history with 800 wins. Three Final Fours, Arkansas to a Final Four in 78, two at Oklahoma State. And to me, that's what stands out, is that if you're my age, so I'm 34, okay? A lot of you guys are around that age, maybe a little bit older. When I came up watching college basketball, Oklahoma State was really good. It was the Big 8, then it became the Big 12, and they were always atop the standings, always in the conversation when Eddie Sutton was there. Overall, he made the Sweet 16 six times or more, twice the Final Four at Oklahoma State. I know that might not sound a big deal. Two Final Fours at at Oklahoma State, six Sweet Sixteens, and it's probably worth mentioning they haven't gotten back to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament since he left. Other notable accomplishments, as I mentioned, a Final Four at Arkansas. He's the last coach, by the way, to get Creighton to a Sweet Sixteen, which is back in the late 70s. 
eight regular season titles, five at Arkansas, the old Southwest Conference. And I'll just be honest, I did not realize how great of a coach that he was on the court, X's and O's. He does have some stuff that happened that I know that he has admitted he is not proud of, but incredible coach, incredible legacy, and the number one testament to him is the people that played for him loved him. Doug Gottlieb, my buddy, posted a super long thing on Instagram the other day, and I think it speaks to the fact that they, people love him, people love him, and so uh, rest in peace to Coach Sutton, uh, his family, obviously, they, they lost their father, their grandfather, whatever. And I am obviously thinking about them at this specific moment. I think we all are. And I think it caught a lot of people, uh, off guard late, late, late in the weekend when Eddie's son passed away Saturday night. All right. That is all for this segment of the Aaron Torres sports podcast. Kevin Keats, the head coach of NC state coming up. I want to thank you guys for listening. Again, I hope you had a happy Memorial day. I hope you had fun. I hope you got to spend time with family for those of you who were able to get out. And I want to remind you. If you're not already subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, please make sure to do so. Do it on iTunes, Podcast Addict. If you have an Android, Podcast Addict is the way to go. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Pod Paradise, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. Thank you to Dylan for the very kind words that he said about the show. Also, if you want more Aaron Torres, Aaron Torres on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast, Aaron Torres on Facebook, Aaron Torres writer on Facebook, and finally, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. If you have any questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com by email. That is all for today's show. Shout out to my boy Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. I hope everybody had a great holiday weekend. And now here's the head coach of the NC State Wolfpack, Kevin Keats. All right, and joining me on the phone now, really excited to have this guest. I had him almost exactly one year ago, nearly to the day. Really enjoyed talking hoop with him. He is, of course, the head coach of the North Carolina State Wolfpack. Kevin Keats is on the phone. Coach, how are you doing this morning? I am doing well, and I'm doing as best as you can, uh, being in a pandemic, but Look, I'm so excited that obviously our, our one time a year that we get a chance to talk <laughs> is always fun, and so we're, this is this is the time of the year that you and I get to chat about basketball a little bit. Yeah, no, and it, it's normally one of the the rare downtimes that you guys have, which is why I think that we did it this time last year was because I think you guys had some summer camps and stuff like that. But May is traditionally a pretty slow month for college basketball coaches, if such a thing exists. Uh, you know, my first question is uh, is the most obvious one is just, you know, obviously, look, there's bigger issues in the world. We're not trying to deny that uh, a, a sports writer and a college basketball coach in the grand scheme probably don't have it very bad. But, um, you know, we all are dealing with the new norm. You and I were discussing it a little bit before we came on air. How are you and your family handling it? Uh, obviously, I'm guessing at this point it's pretty unlike anything that you've ever experienced in your career. How is the Keats family down in Raleigh holding up? Well, those are, that's a great question. Um, I, I will say this, um, after a while, uh, you know, probably after like two or three days of the pandemic when things got shut down, we realized, and I realized from my end, that uh, this is bigger than any sports. Um, and this is not something that's just happening in the United States. It's across the world. Uh, and so I think everybody uh, has 
had to become used to a different uh, new norm. Um, you know, it, it's weird because obviously all of your in-person uh, communication has changed. So a lot of the action I've had is either on FaceTime or text messaging or even Zoom. Um, I don't think anybody knew what Zoom was <laughs> seven weeks ago, but now everybody does. Yeah. Uh, but my, my family's doing well. Um, I got two boys, um, 16 and 11, and we try to, they both like basketball, so we try to get out in the, in the um, driveway every day cool. to um, you know, get some shots up and work on some ball handling. Um, uh, we have tremendous, uh, if we didn't, which we always have, but we've got tre- tremendous respect for teachers. Um, yeah. I mean, your kids are here all day long. You, you understand how important teachers are. And I, I think every teacher in the world needs a raise. Absolutely. What, um, what about your staff? I mean, you know, we'll get into the recruiting stuff in a minute, but you guys recently filled your final scholarship of 2020. 2021 is off to a good start. I know you can't talk about those kids specifically, but it doesn't feel as though – um, your staff has slowed down at all. I mean, I guess I would just ask, uh, what was the game plan once, like you said, a day or two, we're all adjusting, we're all just trying to figure out what life is going to be like, but it feels like you guys kind of hit the ground running once it became official, hey, we're going to be at home for a while. What is your staff uh, or even your team or whatever, what is a day like for NC State basketball right now? Well, the first thing I told my staff is, even though we're in a pandemic, doesn't mean you stop working. Yep. Um you have to get creative. You have to do different things. And, um, you know, and here's the most important thing. You have to recruit your current roster because um, typically those guys would have been here towards the end of the year and we could have started workouts, but everybody spread out. So we've done a, a lot of Zoom calls with those guys. Uh, my staff has done a tremendous job making sure our guys uh, understand and, and do their best on exams. Um, I don't think people understand this. Most of every school in the country has kind of went on to online classes. And that's not a bad thing, but it's a bad thing if you've got a, a couple of students who are not strong students and they're not, they're not used to taking an online class. Um, so my guys have done a tremendous job recruiting. Um, you know, like where we're at in recruiting, we just obviously signed a, a young man um, that's going to be really good for us. But we're also trying to get involved with some 21s and 22s and, continue to recruit and until things turn to be normal again that's the way we got to go about business so i've been happy with those guys um it's crazy but I, I know they're working because they're sending me texts about who hey, we need to be on zoom with who should i text <laughs> sure. who do i need to call so we're getting a lot of stuff done even though we're not in the office you know it's crazy because you did just mention a minute ago um re-recruiting your own roster and i would just be curious i, I know you mentioned just kind of keeping tabs on them academically but how do you keep the relationship going? Because, I mean, uh, you know, unfortunately, this is the time of year in college basketball where sometimes a kid starts looking to transfer, he's not feeling great about his situation, and it feels like, and, and maybe I missed something, but it feels like you've had good roster continuity, that the guys that you had on the roster are really happy with where they're at. I mean, what has it been like kind of continuing that relationship, even though it is virtual online? Well, I think the most important thing is, you got to recruit them over and over. Um, there was one, a little talk about, obviously, the one-time transfer rule going in effect, um, you know, this year. I don't think that will happen now. Uh, but also, you want them to know that you care about them. They're your family. And so a lot of times when I'm talking to our guys through Zoom or texting or, 
you know, even just having a phone conversation, I want them to know, you know, a couple of things that are really important to me. How's your family doing? Are you staying safe? And then how are you coming along academically? Uh, when you build a relationship with some guys, some guys that's in your program, um, you know they know how to play basketball. It's the other things that have changed that they got to be aware of and mm-hmm. making sure, number one, that everybody's family is safe. Sure. Um, that's important to me. Um, and I've done, a, you know, I've had some, uh, I've reached out to a few parents to make sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to do. But I want our guys, uh, when we do get through this pandemic, I want our guys to come out stronger than we were before. That means, you know, from a basketball standpoint of knowledge, uh, health-wise, and also academically. So we're still doing those type of things, just trying to build a, um, every young man into a real man. Very good. Um, listen, it's a question that I'm sure you've been asked a lot the last couple months, but take us through the final couple games of your guys' season. I mean, you guys were in the, the position, you were you were on the bubble, you finished tied for fifth in the ACC, uh, you win your ACC opener. I remember watching, I was in Vegas for the Pac-12 tournament, I was about to head to the arena, and you guys take care of business, and you're slated to play Duke 24 hours later, and it all gets obviously goes to hell in 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 a 24-hour period just take us through for the nc state fan or or really for a college basketball fan that either hasn't heard you tell the story or is just curious what that 24-hour stretch looked like because obviously look it goes without saying we've been saying it for the last two months it's surreal we've never dealt with anything like that i would assume you as a head coach have never dealt with a season quite ending like that just take us through for fans like like what was it like for you as a coach a leader of men as you just said uh to have to deal with something like that well first of all um i thought we were playing really good basketball at the right time um and i'll I'll go back to this and then i'll get to the tournament um we played uh senior night game um, against Wake Forest, and I thought we were clicking in all cylinders. Um, you know, we did some good things. We sent our seniors out the right way, seniors and post-grad. And so, obviously, uh, we get a bye the first round of the ACC tournament, and we play a very good, dangerous, young pit team, um, and we played tremendously well. Uh, so we stacked two games back-to-back, um, and then we have the opportunity to play Duke. Uh, Duke, who... One, we lost to Duke at Duke, and we won here at home by 22. So it was a chance to obviously kind of figure out where we're at as a program and how much have we grown, you know, going into the ACC in year three. So that morning, um, you know, we're preparing. Uh, you know, we, we're going to play, you know, the second game of the day, and we're preparing. I think Clemson and Florida State was going to play before us. And so uh, we got dressed at the hotel. We were going to meet at 1030. Um, throughout that morning, I kept hearing rumblings about the ACC may get canceled. And I said, man, that'd be crazy. Um, I don't think anybody understood uh, how big COVID-19 was at the time. So by the time we got to our meeting at 1030, um, my meeting changed from talking about what we need to do to be successful uh, against Duke to we're not going to play the ACC tournament. Um, and I'm going to give you guys, um, you know, we're going to probably – leave our hotel, which we were in Greensboro about an hour away. We're going to leave our hotel in about two hours, and we're going to get back to Raleigh, and I'm going to keep you posted about uh, whether we're playing in the NCAA, uh, whether that's going to be canceled or not. Mm -hmm. And so I got back to Raleigh with the guys. First of all, I talked to them about the tournament, and I apologize to the seniors. I said, I know that you wanted to play an ACC tournament, but we have an opportunity. We're going to make the tournament. You know, we had at the time we had 11 – uh, power five wins. So I said, we're going to make the tournament. 
So I got him back to um, to Raleigh, and we kind of went our own ways. And then the next morning, I had to call him back in because a couple hours after I got to Raleigh, uh, we found out that there were not going to be any NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, man, that's the toughest thing you have to sit down and talk to a kid about uh, because obviously they're looking forward to it. Uh, I had, you know, C.J. Bryce who transferred up to Wilmington wanted his opportunity to play in this third third uh, NCAA. Markel Johnson, um, who was our senior point guard, you know, wanted to play in the NCAA for his second time and then, I had two fifth-year guys who came to NC State because they wanted the opportunity to play in the tournament. Mm-hmm. So everything changed um, just like that. I mean, it was at a, a, a blink of an eye. And, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, when they first counseled the NCAA, I was very disappointed because I said, man, why wouldn't they just po- postpone it for a couple of weeks and see what can happen? Mm-hmm. Now, looking back at it, and I look back at it, you know, probably five, six, five, six, five or six weeks ago, it was absolutely the right thing to do. Um, you know, when, when we get into the point where our kids' safety and coaches' safety uh, is at stake, we've got to take different cautionary um, situations. And I thought we did a good job. And I thought, you know, our commissioner did a great job. And all of the uh, presidents and chancellors and the ACC and ADs, um, I thought everybody handled it the right way. Yeah, all I'll say is that I'm guilty of that as well, of thinking, you know, is there a way to postpone this? I understand kids want to start getting ready for the draft and all all the different variables that come in, but at the end of the day, I did think at the time, hey, can't you just push this off two, three weeks, see if there's any way to make it happen? Obviously, in, in hindsight, that was never going to happen. Um, was there any kind of overarching mes- message to your team when that happened? And the only reason I ask is because, like you said, you had kids that came with you, uh, had never played in a tournament or hadn't been to a tournament in a long time uh, that were really you know, in a position to do that. And obviously, it's a circumstance that's obviously out of everybody's control. Sometimes, as our parents always told us, life isn't fair. Was that kind of the message? I mean, what was the message the final time, I'm guessing, that you, you were with your team? Well, the message was, this is bigger than us. Mm-hmm. Um, this is bigger than NC State. Uh, this is bigger than basketball. Uh, you know, at that time, a lot of people were affected by it. We were all in the learning process, and I still think we're doing it now. Um, but, you know, my message to them, guys, is I, I feel sorry for you um, because I know you're looking for the opportunity. But we've got to realize that you've got to turn your attention to making sure that you're safe, making sure that your family's safe. Um, you've had a tremendous year. Um, you won't be defined because you don't go to the NCAA because there's a pandemic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I thought our guys handled it well. There were a lot of disappointment. There was some crying in the room. Um, but for me, um, I had to get them to understand that this is bigger than basketball. Mm-hmm. No, 100%. I think it's something we've all realized. Um over the last couple months. I do want to transition ahead to next season, and I know it's it's still only May, and there's a lot of time left, and frankly, we don't even know what a season could potentially look like in terms of on campus, no fans, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, assuming that there is a season, assuming it gets back to normal, knock on wood, we all hope everybody's safe, all that stuff. But real quick, you know, I was looking at your all, all sorts of stuff this morning as I was preparing And I noticed something kind of interesting, and I don't know if it means anything to you or not, uh, but your recruiting class was very highly ranked. One kid did choose the pro option, but I believe four out of the top six players from the state of North Carolina 
in 24-7 sports have signed with the NC State Wolfpack. I don't know if it's happenstance. I don't know if it was a plan by your staff. Uh, but one, I'd love to tell you a little bit about the recruit. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about that recruiting class. And is it just coincidental that you guys really locked down the state of North Carolina this year? It was, was it just, is it the goal every year? I mean, what, I'm just kind of curious about that, honestly. Yeah, I love my class. Um, You know, we've got size, we've got athletic ability, uh, we've got quickness. um, And you're right, we signed uh, four to five from the state of North Carolina. Uh, Was that planned? Uh, I can't actually say that it was. Um, You know, we like to recruit nationally, but our coaches, uh, assistant coaches, um, did a tremendous job of identifying some really good players in our state. And if we can land some guys who are good players in your state, then and certainly that says a lot about your program. you got to almost try to put a fence around your state and don't let everybody come in and get the good players. And so we identified these guys early. Um, they did a tremendous job of um, recruiting, and obviously I was the one that had to close the deal on it. Uh, that being said, I love our roster. Um, for the first time, though we're young in certain areas, uh, we may have nine or ten guys that fully play the system that I like to play, both offensively and defensively. And so right now, as of today, we're too deep at every position. Um, and, and I like the veterans that are coming back. Now, of course, um, Markel Johnson and C.J. Bryce, who are seniors, they mean so much to our program. Um, now, will you completely have a guy that can step in right away and, and you know perform as they did? Probably not. It's probably going to take a little time, but not only do we have five freshmen, we had another young man, Thomas Allen, who transferred from Nebraska, who set out. And then Darion Sivon, who would have been a freshman, uh, he was an academic red shirt. So we've got two guys that pretty much practice with us all year long. And then when you add the Devin Daniels and the Braxton Beverly's and uh, Jericho Hellams, and then obviously uh, whatever happens with DJ Funderburg, we've got an exciting team. And I really like the combination of guys that we have. So I saw you say this in another interview. Leonard Hamilton has been on this show, and we talked about kind of his approach. Basically, they're exactly what you just described your team as. Too deep at every position, play a lot of guys. It's not about the number of minutes, but it's all going to work out in the end. And Florida State has had a ton of success, ACC regular season champs, and they put a ton of guys in the league. Um, what is Was that always I, – I know what you did at, at Wilmington – uh, but was that kind of part of the plan? Because I saw you reference Leonard Hamilton's program. They've had a ton of success, and it feels like, at least from a distance, that you guys are trying to build something a little bit similar. Yeah, you know, I've always played that way. Uh, we've always had at least nine or ten guys that we can put in the game, and, and our motto is kind of is play as hard as you can for as long as you can, and then we're going to substitute and have another guy do the same thing. Uh, well, we haven't been able to do that last year. This, this past season, I thought we had that, but we ha- we had some unfortunately uh, unfortunate um, injuries. Um, we've had this year. We had a few concussions that I hadn't seen before, obviously in my coaching career. But yeah, I want to play fast. I want to play a lot of guys, and you know, I want guys to buy into our system. It's important when I went out there to recruit that I got guys to fit my culture. Um, I got guys to fit the culture of NC State, and then. You know, it doesn't matter if you're a three-star guy, if you're a five-star guy. If you're not bought into the system, then you're not going to be a good player here. And so we just go after guys who fit the system, who are good people, and obviously want to have a chance to play at the next level. You just mentioned the culture of NC State. What is the culture of NC State? 
Well, we, we punched the clock. Um, and, and not just in basketball. Um, you know, my vision when I took over the program is to get it where I wanted it. And my vision of an NC State player is a guy who works hard in the classroom, a guy who has a good time socially but not over the top, and a guy who can play so hard on the basketball court. You don't even have to be the skilled guy. You have to be able to compete and play hard. And, you know, typically in recruiting, you get two out of the three, but I'm trying to get three out of the three because I think if you win off the court, you can win on the court. So real quick, a couple quick questions, I'll let you go. One, I referenced a minute ago, so you guys for the second straight year, and again, ironically, uh, I, I had you on last year and I asked you about a kid that by the name of Jalen LeCue. He was one of these kind of weird fifth-year guys that was sort of eligible for the draft. He ends up leaving. You have a kid this year, Josh Hall, choose the same. Um, two Kind of two-part question. One, um, you know, just thoughts on losing this guy. I mean, obviously, I, I think you probably knew for at least a little while that it was a possibility. And then two, just kind of this weird time that we're in with this G League stuff because, you know, my whole thing is is I have no fundamental issue with the G League, but it, it's weird to me that a kid like that that's committed to you uh, can go straight to the NBA, but then we have other kids that played high school last year that have to go to the G League, and it's just a very strange time. You're certainly living it almost as much as anybody. I'd be curious kind of to that two-part question. Yeah, I'm the expert in that. Um, <laughs> so you ask the right person. <laughs> I hate to ask, no, but I got to ask uh, you. No, I'm the expert. No, I tell you what, uh, I'm, I'm happy for Jalen LeCue, and I'm going to be happy for Josh Hall. Um you have to do what's best for you and your family. Um, and with Josh, um, you know, he decided a little bit later on that's what he wanted to do. The reason why he's eligible for the draft is because he's 19 years old, mm-hmm. had graduated and one year removed from, you know, basically high school. So he's a post-grad. Sure. And the same thing that happened with um, LeCue. Uh, the other guys uh, with the G League, the guys that are going to the G League, yep. uh, they don't have to be 19 years old. They don't have to be one year removed. Instead of going overseas, the, the G League came up with a, a formula and a payment plan that could help some of those guys stay here in the States and be able to compete. Uh, what I would say to guys like that is, you know, your opportunity in college, um, don't take that for granted. Yeah, um, you get started off on your academics. Um, our product right now is way better than the G League. You're playing in front of mm-hmm. 20,000 people. You're traveling, traveling first class. Um, some of those G League teams are playing in front of 500 people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a little bit different. Uh, I think we have a big enough stage that if you want it to be a one and done, you can. It's been proven in our league. It's been proven across college basketball. But I never judge. Um, you know, I, I can never tell. I've got two kids, and when they get to a certain age, uh, my wife and myself and my two kids, we have to make a decision. And sometimes it's not the popular decision or what everybody else thinks it should be. So – I never look back on it. Um, I'm excited about Josh. Josh would have been a really, really good player for us. Um, He's 6'9 and uh, can play, obviously, the three position. Uh, Very talented kid. But you know what? After that, you know, I've got to go out and find some guys that want to be here and that's going to compete the way I want them to compete. Very good. Uh, Two quick questions. One, um, first of all, by the way, I agree with everything that you said. Uh, There's nothing wrong with wanting to get paid. I would also argue – 
an ACC stage uh, is a very good thing if you're trying to build a brand outside of basketball as you head to the NBA. I mentioned the ACC. I was very quickly curious on your thoughts on the 20-game league schedule for this year. It's where College Hoops is going. I don't know if you think it helped or it hurt you, but it's been kind of a big topic of conversation, and I'm just kind of curious for your thoughts. Well, it took some time to get adjusted. Um, what I I don't mind a twenty game schedule, but it's it's a little difficult because all schedules are not created equal. Um, everybody doesn't play everybody twice. You might have great one guy, uh, one team. One, like we went to Virginia, had a great win, but we only played them once this year. This past year, we played Carolina and Duke twice. Uh, the only thing I didn't like about our um, twenty game schedule last year is that we opened the season with an ACC game. Mm -hmm. And that's always tough because typically in the summertime, you may have some guys that are coming off injuries. Uh, you may be, you may have to discipline a couple guys for the first two games of the year. Uh, you don't have that ability to play a non-conference game that may be a less of an opponent. You jump right into the ACC, but it's where we are. Uh, we're not going backwards. Um, you know, so we're going to continue to play 20 and you just have to adjust to it. Very good. Uh, I know we kind of talked about kind of the layout of your team. Um, first of all, do, do we have any idea when DJ Funderburk, he so for people who don't know, he would be your leading returning scorer and I believe leading returning rebounder too. Is there any time frame? Uh, I know the, the uh, deadline has been extended. Do we have any idea when he may or may not make a decision? We don't. Um, and, you know, he wants to – the year before, Markel Johnson put his name in the in the draft the same way. And really, he, he, you know, obviously he got the information back um, that he wasn't going to get drafted, but he wanted to go through some workouts and be able to see. The tough thing for a guy like DJ is there are probably not going to be any workouts. Um, and so he's got to figure out with his family, uh, is this the right situation? When is the right time to come back? Uh, if they were to open it up and say that there is a possibility there's some workouts, uh, that's fine. I encourage him to go through that because I think feedback helps him become a good player. Uh, but I don't have a time frame. Um, you know, we're all kind of waiting to see what the NCAA says sure. because we were thinking it was going to be June 3rd, but obviously it's going to be extended longer than that. So uh, a lot of that's going to depend on when he has to make a decision, uh, whether he makes one or not. Yeah. All right, last question. I know you, you kind of laid out the, the layout of the team for 2020-2021. Again, there's a lot to be figured out both off the court and then, of course, a lot of time until you get back on the court. But I, I just wanted to say it sounds like you're really excited about this 2021 team. I mean, is that a fair assessment as we are still ideally about four or five months away from the start of the season? Yeah, if you ask me, Aaron, today, how do I feel about our team, I'm excited because We've got we got two different teams. Uh, mm -hmm. We've got an older bunch of guys that you know. Obviously, if DJ returns, I love that group. Uh, three of those guys out of that group with DJ, DJ Manny Bates and Devin Daniels um, started a bulk of the games this year. But Braxton Beverly has started a bulk of the games throughout his whole career. So you really got four guys that's back um, that started, and then Jericho Helms has had some time to start. Uh, what hurts us? Uh, the mere fact that, you know, in the past we would be able to get those yeah. five freshmen on campus and have eight weeks to work with them, um, you know, getting them better, getting them uh, understanding how hard they got to compete. That's the tough thing about it because obviously we might not have a chance to coach those guys in the summer, and the first time that we may have a chance to work them out is when school starts. And so that becomes a tougher challenge. But 
I love our young guys. I love our young guys' mentality. Um, I think our, our, our returning guys have experienced a lot of success, uh, you know, with good players and good assistant coaches. Uh, we're one of seven programs to, to start, you know, their first three years winning 20 games, and mm-hmm. we want to kind of continue to build on that. Very good. Uh, Kevin Keats, the head coach of the NC State Wolfpack, uh, very kind to, to join me today. Coach, I appreciate it. I hope we don't go another full year uh, between chatting. I hope uh, maybe we'll catch up closer to the start of the season, assuming that there is, in fact, a season is scheduled. But, man, you know I always appreciate you making some time, and I hope you and your family stay safe, and I hope we chat soon. Well, listen, we, we need to go ahead and make this right now. We we. You and I, man, we, we do good together on the radio, man. So we have to – let's make sure that um, we don't make it a year. Let's schedule something every six months. Oh. Um, and you and you and I talk, and it's crazy because we can talk forever, man. And I love you. I think you always ask great questions, and um, I love the job that you're doing. So I look forward to talking to you a little bit more uh, and than just one year away, you know. There we go. So, so I don't have to. I don't have to start booking my calendar for May of 2021 yet. We can. We can focus on 2020 still. Absolutely. And listen, uh, as always, I, I really appreciate you and thank you for having me on. Head coach Kevin Keats, NC State.